You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there, I want to invite you back towards a seat. We are going to be in the book of Acts chapter 15 today. And uh, we're going on a journey as we go through this chapter. This is our, uh, believe it or not, we've been in Acts for 23 weeks. That is three weeks short of six months. And while we're not going to go through every single verse of the book of Acts, we're going to be going through major portions of it and talking about big themes. And one of them today, we kind of start in one of the probably most significant passages in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 15. And if you, you're heading in your Bible, if you have headings, it probably says something along the lines of the Jerusalem Council. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit about what that is, but really, we're going to give some background and also talk about, a little bit about human nature. And one of the issues that God is addressing, and God addresses both here in, the, in Acts, but he also addresses with us. And uh, Joni, my wife, almost 35 years married to this incredible woman, proof that Jedi mind tricks work, by the way, gentlemen. Uh, I do have a lightsaber. I uh, got her before I got the lightsaber, which was good. In uh, her talk this morning during announcements, she said, Hillside exists to help people find, understand, and follow God's plan for their life. And as such, a lot of the time when we're going through scripture, and, and also kind of tied into the fact that I'm, by my gifting, I'm, I'm a teacher, I like to teach, when we come across an area that might not make sense unless you have background context, I want to make sure we have the context for that. And especially, this is one of those passages that might make sense, but culturally goes like this because it has little to no, that was like, for those of you listening and not watching, that was me causing my hand to pass over my head like, you miss it. There are cultural things that are happening in Acts chapter 15 that when we look at it, we can go, this is absolutely silly. Why would this be going on? When I get into the details about the why, it's going to make a lot more sense because the issue that's being dealt with, while it might not be at the forefront of our discussion points on January 21st, 2024, it was at the forefront of the early church and the motivating factor behind it is definitely at the, motive, at the core of our hearts. So that's why we're getting into what we're getting into and especially when I say the word circumcision, I don't want you to like immediately check out. It's like, ah, oh, it's irrelevant. Okay? And we think, what's the context of this? The Bible. Okay? That's where we're going today. Through the Bible. It's funny because over and over again, one of the main things that caused a problem for the Jewish people who were believers, as people who were non-Jewish were added to the faith, as Gentiles and Greeks became Christians, one of the main sticking points was there was a group of believers who were Jewish, who had practiced Jewish ritual law their whole life, who had come to believe that through faith in Christ, they could have relationship with God and salvation. They believed that in order to go forward in the faith, that these non-Jewish Greek believers needed to be circumcised, and they also needed to keep the Jewish law. 
And it became such a sticking point that wherever Paul and Barnabas or the other missionaries are going and they're declaring the message of the gospel, there is a group of well-meaning but misinformed and very hard-hearted Jewish believers that are coming along behind them and saying, that's not enough. If you really want to be saved, you need to convert to Judaism and keep the Jewish law or you're not saved. You can think, well, that has nothing to do with us. What does have something to do with us is, are we saved by faith in Christ, or are we saved through our actions? Can we receive new information or updated information or more in-depth information from Jesus in his teachings that allow us to realize, like for us, we would say, when he died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, we believe that Jesus paid the price for all sin for all time. And that anybody who would put their trust or hope or faith in him would have their sins forgiven and would never need to keep a, a ritual religion in order to gain their righteousness. Furthermore, they did not need to undergo physical rites like circumcision for the men as a way of setting themselves apart to God. Because as we were going to see a little bit in here, the whole issue really here is not about circumcision and it's not about keeping the law. It's about hard-heartedness and being teachable. And ultimately today, <clears throat> the question you will be asked multiple times is, can you get new information and respond to Jesus with it? Can you go forward with a soft heart or will you insist upon your own way? Will you double down on what you've got? Or will you say, Jesus, I might not get 100% of it, but I want to learn as you teach me. That's the crux of this. If you can do that, I think that falls directly into the helping people find, understand, and follow God's plan for their lives because God will lead you where he wants you to go. That means you will end up needing him to take you places you would not go on your own. Because if you could get there on your own, who don't we need? Jesus. If we can receive salvation by getting circumcised and by keeping the Jewish law or by filling the blank with whatever ritual you'd want to put in there, if we can do any of that, Jesus is irrelevant. That's why this is a big deal. You could go home right now, and that's the entire crux of the message. But please don't. There's more, okay? Acts chapter 14, verses 27 through verse 5 of chapter 15. When they, Paul and Barnabas, arrived and gathered the church at Antioch together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So the council at Jerusalem, which we're going to talk about in more depth next week, really comes to a, d a decision on what are we going to tell people 
that is required to live as a faithful Christian going forward. There's one smaller group that's saying, we want them to keep all of the Jewish law, including circumcision, and if they don't, they're not saved. And there's others that said, why should we put on them something that we couldn't even keep ourselves? Especially with the testimony of God doing miraculous things where before the Jews would even go to extend the gospel message to the Gentiles, God was extending the message himself. For example, with Cornelius in chapter 10, with the men of Cyprus and Cyrene in chapter 11, when we start to see as these guys are traveling throughout the first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14, over and over again, we see God doing miraculous things among non-Jewish people. And it wasn't like they had, Paul and Barnabas had showed up with flint knives and said, okay, you want to follow Jesus? Everybody line up. It's time for a, a, a little ritual here. No one was signing up for the circumcision line. Okay? Because that isn't what they were preaching. They were preaching sins forgiven and good news available in Jesus Christ. How do you receive that? By faith through grace, not by work so that no one can boast. And this group of well-meaning individuals is insisting, no, this has to be the way. You'd think after Jesus himself miraculously reaches out and pours out his Holy Spirit upon the church or the group of people in, in, at Cornelius' house that became a church, that they would have said, you know, maybe if God's doing it, that should be enough. But they were coming alongside and trying to say, no, you guys need a little bit more. When people try to put more than what God has required on people, that's called religion. And it's yucky, and it's gross. And it also, it's, it's a man-made system, not a God-directed system. And one of the problems that these very well-meaning religious Jewish people had is that people who did not deserve salvation were coming into relationship with God through Jesus. Get this, they didn't deserve it. Shouldn't they have to do more? The message of the cross, Paul writes later, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved is the message of salvation, the message of redemption. It's so important for us not to gloss over this and think this is irrelevant because ultimately it comes down to what will you do when you are confronted by the Holy Spirit and shown there are areas of your heart that are hard? And I don't think, you know, there's, I don't have a list here. God showed me all of who you are here today. It's not a very long list, but boy, there's a few of you on. That's not it at all. But if you're a human being, if you're a person, you will have areas that are hard in your heart, and usually they will hide behind the areas that you know you are Right? And your hand will hit things when you're talking about it. You feel strong. And you're, gra you're as gracious as the next person until those things come out. You know what I'm talking about? Those are your things. You know, the, the hairs on the neck, back of your neck stand up and they're like, yeah. You get all excited and you talk and walk funny. Let me tell you about this. We can be hard-hearted when we insist on our way instead of listening to God's way. And it's not either or, but it's such a significant part of the human process where we can think we understand, God, I got this now. I know what you want, to, you know what you want us to do. Let me take this and run with it. There's times where Jesus has allowed his disciples, Peter, James, and John, the three amigos are traveling with him. He takes them up onto the top of a mountain. And it says, while they're up there, it says they experience this miraculous revelation and Elijah and Moses show up. Now, where they came from, how they got there, we have no idea. 
But Jesus is talking with them, and there's light shining bright. And Peter's like blown away, and he says, you know what we need to do? We need to build three tabernacles. We need three church buildings for you guys. Up here on the mountain, it'll be awesome. <clears throat> At no point did God say through Jesus, you know what we really need? We need a better meeting place. We want it to look cool. We want it to look nice. And by the way, I love meeting in a building. I love having our own space to be able to meet in. But that isn't the requirement for the church to come together. What's required for the church to come together is to know where we're going and to be in the same place. And then that's the church, not this building. This is a good thing. Most of the church, the people who have experienced God's grace for themselves and they've seen it extended to others are recognizing that instead of it being a closed door to the non-Jews, there is now an open door of faith to those who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Up until this point, a person who wanted to follow after the God of the Jews had, could do one of two things. They could either become what's known as a proselyte or they could, you know, fancy word for, they could become a convert. They could go from whatever their culture of origin was and they could culturally become a Jew. That would mean for the men, they don't cut the hair on the sides of their head. They let it grow down in the beautiful little ringlets. They wear the phylacteries on their foreheads and on their, on their wrists, which are hold, hold passages from the Torah. They begin to keep every single ritual that there is, and they undergo the rite of circumcision, which, according to Genesis chapter 17, was mandated by God for Abraham and for all of the followers. Anybody who would belong to, to Abram's family would be circumcised, and it would be a physical sign of the, of the setting apart to God that each person would have, every man. There's nothing in Scripture that ever talked about female circumcision, in case you're wondering about that. I'm, I mention that because it is a, a twisted practice that is used in our, in our world to destroy and to mutilate. You could go back and forth about, well, is male circumcision needed? And it's like, I can talk to you about the, the, the whys of why people get circumcised for health reasons, for you know, dealing with UTIs, dealing with all sorts of stuff, but there's no reason for female circumcision, for male circumcision, and God didn't address that. I just wanted to throw that out there in case you're thinking when I'm talking circumcision that I'm throwing that in there. Not at all. That clear as mud? Yes? He said circumcision eight times in that sentence. (sighs) (laughs) 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 Through all of this, the other group of people was known as the God-fearers. These would be non-Jewish people. They didn't want to leave their culture of origin. They weren't Jewish, but they respected the God of the Jews. They respected the teachings. And so it says they would give alms as a way of honoring God. They would try to follow the teachings that they could follow. They would go to the synagogue, and because they hadn't converted, they were given a place called the Gentile court or the outer courts of the temple. They were not allowed to talk or to participate. They could be there, but they couldn't do anything about it. And that's how a big chunk of people would kind of tie in with the God of the Jews. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is one of those kind of guys. But when God goes out of his way to include Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10 by pouring out the Holy Spirit upon him without circumcision and not talking about circumcision again with him, when 
Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sends Peter to not only go into uh, minister and to serve with these people, but then to go each place he's going to continue to carry the same message that anyone who would believe in Jesus can receive both salvation and also the power of the Holy Spirit without following Jewish rituals. This is something that is allowing an open door. And for some, that point of exclusivity that they'd had before the the non-Jews were allowed was too much. They couldn't stand that there were now nothing different between them and the people that were, you know, before kept in the outer courts. For years, when we read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament didn't get thrown away because we have a New Testament. The Old Testament is the lens, it's the glasses that we look at the New Testament through. And in the Old Testament, we see God's intent and purpose to redeem all people who would believe in him by choosing an insignificant nothing group of people. And he chose this one particular family. This is the story of the Old Testament in a sentence. He chose this one family through Abraham and said, I'm going to use this family to bless the entire world and to everybody through him is going to be blessed. I'm going to make him great. I'm going to make his name great. And this is how I'm going to do it. He didn't make him great because he looked at him and said, now this is something I can finally work with. He, took, he chose Abraham because he was a dude who would believe in God. Because Abraham had faith. But the Jews did not become God's chosen people because they were awesome, but because they were just normal, ordinary folks. Over time, some people began to believe that they were very, very special, and that's why they were chosen. They didn't become special until they were chosen. They weren't chosen because they were special. And we can look at that and think that's clear as, as clear as day. But we can often have the same attitude towards people who don't yet know Jesus and think that somehow, some way, we are better than or deserve something different or more than them because of what we have. If we don't recognize that this message of the gospel has been made available to every human on the planet, no matter what their culture of origin is, no matter what their language is, no matter where they're from, and that Jesus' desire is that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and that this gospel is to go out for every tribe and nation and creed and tongue, and that when we get to heaven, we're not going to be divided up into groups of people who are like, and here's where the Americans get to sit. Extra room for their flags. No. It's not. When we get to heaven, we're going to be surrounded by brothers and sisters from all over the world. Generation to generation to generation of men, women, gathered together under one purpose, the purpose of Jesus Christ. Not for our own glory, but for him. And the song of the Lamb, Petra did, anybody remember Petra from the 70s and 80s? I don't know if they're still going, but I wouldn't be surprised if Bob Hartman is playing something somewhere. He was the keyboard player. He turned it into like a standing keyboard, which was rocks so much harder. But there was a song they did, Salvation Belongs to Our God and Unto the Lamb. That's the salvation song of the Lamb. And the, all the tribes and, and tongues and nations as they're gathered in heaven are singing about sal- salvation, who it belongs to. It doesn't belong to us because we're a special people. It doesn't belong to us because we've been chosen or we've come to know Jesus. It belongs to the one who dispenses salvation through faith by grace to all those who would believe. And our message, 
our mission, our life goal is to extend that open and available to anyone. That doesn't fly so well often if we start to mark people as enemies of the gospel when in reality they're just political or cultural or national enemies based upon some, you know, media-generated crud. The more you travel and see people from other countries and other nations, you begin to see how much the same we are. Maybe different opportunities, definitely different languages, different perspectives, different ideas. Same Jesus. As a baby, as a little kid in our, in our church Sunday school, we used to sing a song, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world. We'd sing, you know, red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sight. And we could sing that just fine. And at some point, especially, I don't know if, if it's a, an, an idea that somehow we're exceptional. I think we've been told we're special to the point where if we don't get a trophy for competing in a, in a you know, coming in sixth place in a six-team soccer league, we don't get a trophy for that. We think that somehow we've messed up and that the world's coming to an end. You know what I'm talking about? To think that God loves the whole story of the, the leaving the 99 sheep with, with his fellow shepherds and going out chasing down the one who was lost is God's value for humanity that does not yet know him. And that's the heart he wants to transplant into every single one of ours. And it requires that we be open and teachable and able to be steered past the cultural challenges or the, our, our traditional enemies that we happen to have. Our enemy is the one who desires to steal, kill, and destroy from us. It's not people. It's not a country. It's not a nation. It's not people who speak a certain language. Don't allow people or the enemy to separate you and cause you to look at other people as the enemy. I'm excited when I look out and I see people from all over here gathered together. Reno is a fun place because it's just a normal town, but people come from all over the world to go to school here. People come from all over the world to work here. People come from all over the world to do all sorts of stuff here, to vacation here. Perhaps you've heard of Tahoe. It's famous. But when you see people coming from all over the world, it's like, this is really bizarre. Because you, you can take things that are so for granted for yourself and then when somebody sees it for the first time for them, it's like, wow, this is great. How much more is it with salvation for those who have felt far off from God for their whole life? And maybe you came to Jesus when you were a baby, little critter. And it's just been that thing you do, you know, you, yeah, I love Jesus. But for the one who has just come to know him and realize the depth and breadth of the salvation that they've experienced, that salvation is something that's precious to them. May we not forget what a great salvation we've received in Christ simply because we've become familiar with it. May we not forget the love that has been extended to us and may we regain our first love. May we remember the great love of God that's been lavished on us to be called sons and daughters of God. Why did I say that these guys were stubborn? I was quoting the Bible. It's always safe to quote the Bible as long as you're quoting in context. 
I've gotten a little ahead of myself because I'm out of my notes. Again, <laughs> again. But there's a couple different spots where you think God told Israel, I want you to practice circumcision. That's going to be a big thing. There comes a point where he said, I'm going to send you into this special land. We refer to it as the promised land. The early Hebrews just called it the land. And there's a spot in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6. You can put that up there. It says, Know therefore the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Basically, he says, you guys are getting ready to go where I'm sending you, but I don't want you to think you're going here because you've done something good. Don't want you to think you've done this because somehow, some way, you guys are in. You guys are stubborn people. Little couple verses later, it says this. I've seen this people, this is God talking, and behold, it is a stubborn people. You could put, quote, God. He says, I've seen it. Later on, as he's looking at this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he's talking to them and, and saying, you know, it's so significant that you guys think you're special because you've been circumcised, because you have the Mosaic law. But as you're going into the promised land, I'm not so concerned that you've got your circumcision right and that you kept the festival right. I'm more concerned with how you're living because that's the real point of circumcision. God, in dealing with Israel, often could not deal with nuances because Israel couldn't handle the nuances. If you're trying to figure out what does that mean, I want you to explain the ins and outs of not putting your fingers in a light socket to a three-year-old. Well, if you put your fingers into the light socket, young man, a couple things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to get lit up. It's going to shock you. It's going to hurt. You know, you, you could try. You could explain the, the, the voltage. You can explain the amperage. You could explain, you know, why it's bad. You can show pictures of kids on the YouTubes who have done this. But ultimately, what do you tell a kid who wants to stick something into a light socket? No. No. Why? No. Why? No. That is it. Much of the Old Testament is not nuanced teaching because God's just saying no. I heard you know, the, the devil as a character does not show up in Scripture until the book of Job, which according to tradition is the first book that probably is, is the oldest one that would have been written. But people would ask, why does not the devil show up until very late in the picture? We start to see where even stories that are told in First and Second Samuel show up differently when they're told in First and Second Chronicles. And one of my uh, theologi theological professor said, because Israel worshipped everything that they were introduced to. And if you'd introduced a devil to them, they would have worshipped him. Every time they'd come across a, another people group, they'd pick up whatever worship that they had with their God, or this God, or that God. So th they didn't get introduced until later. I could go that rabbit trail that, but ultimately, God is not wanting Israel to think that simply take care of your own business, get circumcised, stand up, sit down at the right spots, and everything's going to be fine. He says, I want your hearts. Deuteronomy 10. This is what God writes through Moses. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. 
Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. The whole idea of circumcise your hearts, God's saying, cut away the dead part of your heart that keeps you from listening to me. Cut away the part of you that has become callous to responding to me. Walk in my ways, not because walking in my ways earns you something, but because walking in my ways, you get to walk in the way of blessing. Does this make sense? He says, I don't want the, you know when to do stuff. You know what to say, but your heart's far away. There's a passage that get, gets into the idea of Jesus saying something to the effect of, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God's hope is that we would be a people of a covenant, of a promise that he's made, he established it, who are walking in his ways. There's a passage in Mark chapter 7. I'm going to do the sum up version of this. And Jesus and his disciples have just sat down to eat. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones who are supposed to be leading the Jews and following after their God, approach Jesus and they confront him and they say, can you please explain why these filthy animals, disciples of yours, do not wash their hands according to the traditions of the elders? Now, I want you to know that did not mean that they didn't wash their hands. But the Pharisees had created a special way to wash your hands that was the authorized way to do it. And if you did wash your hands in the Pharisees' way, then you could do ritual obedience. It would be seen as something that's the very special way of doing it. They called it washing with the closed fist. So you'd go through, wash your hands, and then you'd do these things where, you know, with the water, and then you'd put it on your couch where you're eating, and you put it on your utensils, and it's like, it's all been blessed. What's happened? Well, you just jumped through a hoop that God never gave you. And they're saying, why don't you guys do this? And Jesus says, are you serious? You're asking me why we don't do this? And he quotes it. He says, Isaiah the prophet said it best. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You guys... You jokers are going through the motions. You're creating your own religion and your own traditions, and you've elevated them above God's law. And you're doing this because you have hard hearts. You've, you've not continued to walk with me, but instead you've camped out and said, I'm, I've gone as far as I need to go. I'm digging in. I know that what's right and I know what's wrong, and I don't care if God himself shows up to tell me different. I'm not going to be teachable. Matter of fact, let me point out a couple things Jesus says. You guys are so big on keeping the commandments. What about the commandments, the first one with promise? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother for this is the first commandment with a promise that it would go well with you and you would live long on the earth. What do you do with that, guys? Oh, I know what you do. You create a special little loophole called Corbin. And if you say everything we would have given towards our parents' care and to honor them is now devoted to God, you don't have to honor God anymore through honoring your parents. And you can ignore your parents. Matter of fact, you're prohibited from helping your parents. And you guys do this kind of stuff all the time. That's hard-heartedness. 
That's what God's confronting. That is what motivates the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are believers, who are showing up and saying, these believers, these new Gentiles, these Greek speakers, they need to be cut too. They need to do what we're doing too. Why? Because then then they'll be saved, if they can do that, if they are tough enough to do it. Instead, Jesus said to all who would call upon his name, they would be saved. Ezekiel chapter 36, there's a passage that says, if you find yourself struggling with a hard heart, this is the Louis sum up version, it says, ask God and he will forgive you, and he will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and he will take away your heart of stone, and he will replace it with a heart of flesh, or he will replace it with a soft heart. Don't fall under the, the judgment of looking at these religious people who are believers, who are calling for circumcision and calling for the rituals. I can't believe those idiots would do that. That is us when we harden our hearts against God and against his people in any way, shape, or form. And he invites us to do a switch, to take his heart for people in our circumstances and to not add to what he says salvation is, as uncomfortable as it can make us. To not feel like we have to jump in with judgment for Who's making it to heaven and who's not? At what point does that person get saved? You know who makes that call? Jesus. Our job is to introduce him to people with good news that is actually good news. We're going to touch the Jerusalem Council next week a little bit about what did they tell these guys, these these non-Greeks or these non-Jewish guys, these Greek guys. We'll get into that. But ultimately... I want you to think about a couple of things. What stands out to you? How can you tell if you have a hard heart in an area? I'm so glad you asked. A couple things. Do you have areas of unforgiveness towards anybody in your heart? Do you ever feel like you know better than Jesus? Judgment. You ever feel like you can wholeheartedly read somebody else's motives and how messed up they are. Hard heart. That's, a, that's like on the cusp of it. Self-righteousness. Hatred of people or people groups. You ever blame other people for the things that are happening in your life and that if only these other people would change their issues, then you'd be fine? Hard heart. It's not my list. Maybe I just got on yours. I don't know. Um, But in all of this, our goal is to keep pressing forward with humility, asking God to speak to our hearts and also to, to help us to love one another in the same way that he loves us. To be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. To be quick to extend forgiveness, to carry grace and mercy and compassion, to look to do good in his name, to do what Jesus would be doing if he was walking in our shoes every single day. It's awful hard to have a hard heart 
when you're looking to be a blessing and to be kind in each way you can. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for your word that is true, and I would ask today that you would remind us of the goodness that you've extended to us. I thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance. I ask you to work in, through, and around us, Lord, that you would take hard hearts and you would exchange them for your soft heart. There's nobody looking around. I just want to give you an opportunity. If there's something in there that speaks to you, it's like an exchange. You'd like God to do a shift for you to, to take that hard heart and replace it with his heart. With nobody looking around, I just would invite you to raise your hand and say, Lord, that's me. I, I need that today. I need your heart today. Yes, Lord. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your work that you're doing right now in our midst. Change our hearts, O oh God, and make them like yours. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus before, we'd love to help you get started. Right when we're done today, there's going to be a couple people in the back, back here that are available to pray with you. You can tell them, and I want to start with Jesus today. You can also go to our Connect and Grow counter where Kelsey is. Kelsey, you wave. See Kelsey. She will give you a yes packet, and that yes packet has information that will help you learn how to follow after Jesus. We'd love for you to do that. I want to say God bless you. Continue, like Chris was talking about, say thank you to Jesus as you speak his name over your life, but also say thank you for him giving you a soft heart because if you ask, you will receive his word, not mine. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.